0: Would you grab your Bibles and turn to John 17? We'll read our text this morning. John 17, we're going to read 11 through 16. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. Which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I. I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So this is the second part of this prayer of Jesus as he's praying for the 11, although there are great implications for us. Um, I've centered it around the same structure as last week. As Jesus is praying here, He speaks about um, the gifts that we are given as His followers. And as we are given these gifts, there are certain results, certain outcomes that become ours. And so we will talk about the gift. We've got four points today. We'll talk about the gift, and then we'll talk about the outcome and the result of um, that gift that we are given. A key theme that runs throughout This closing prayer is the security of our salvation. A form of the word give is mentioned in this prayer in John chapter 17, 17 times. Seven times Jesus specifically says the words um, that the Father gives to the Son followers. And this idea of this gifting from the Father to the Son of believers or the church in regard to the 11 and then those who would believe through the testimony of the 11 it permeates john chapter 17 and so there is much aspect of the security of our salvation connected in this prayer so i've been ministering now for 36 years and it doesn't matter what language what continent what people group wherever i have gone there has been one predominant question that has risen above all the others Matter of fact, probably a few months ago, I, I, we touched on uh, a number of the things that we're going to touch on today. And even since then, I've had conversations with students and even adults wondering about, is our salvation truly secure? Is there a way in which we can know this? And I've wondered about all these years about why this is the case. This has been a, again, no matter where I've gone and ministered, in churches, in different continents, different people, groups, in different languages. Why is this the case? Why this question? I think one of the reasons is this, is that deep inside of us, a lot of times we have a deep insecurity that comes from our sinful nature. We know we mess up. We know that we um, can drift in our mind at times, and we, um, we know... sinful nature that is in us and i think the enemy uses that sometimes we really doubt our value we doubt our purpose we doubt our worth Um, we're looking for a place in this world to fit in and we're wondering about that and so we can really doubt and that doubt can kind of creep in in regard to our salvation i think a second reason why many christians doubt the security of salvation is that there is deep destruction that has been done by the enemy to lie to us and to manipulate us. And so he knows how destructive it is that if we were to doubt that God can't keep us, what that does to us. If we were real honest this morning, and we should always be honest, we know we can't keep our salvation. We can't keep it in a day, sometimes multiple times during the day. How would we ever know if we've done enough and we're in or we're out? And so we need someone bigger than us. We need assurances from the scripture to know that there is a trustworthiness to the work that Christ has done in granting unto us this great work of salvation. So we know we can't trust ourselves in regard to this. And if the enemy can lie to us and get us to think that we can't trust God even in this, then he has done a great effective work from his perspective. So running all through John chapter 17 is this idea that we belong to God and we have been given to Christ. And we will see that even more this morning. So we've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and begin so again, I'm gonna, I've am gonna. framed this around. We're going to talk about the gift first and then we'll talk about the result or the outcome of this gift that we have been given. So let's look at verse 11 first. So if you would, please read along with me again. And I am no longer in the world, Christ says, but they, speaking of the 11, are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So here's the gift. The gift is, is that we have been given by the Father, the eleven have been given by the Father to the Son. So this is what's there. And then from that, there are again certain implications that are really significant for us to see here. And so in verse 11, there are two of those. So what is Jesus saying here? So he's saying this, I am no longer in the world. And then he says, and I am coming to you. So he is going to ascend to go to heaven to sit at the right hand of his father. So he is referencing his exaltation after the cross and the resurrection that will be, uh, that will be coming in about six weeks. Where he will leave the earth and he will go to heaven and to begin the great high priest ministry that is now his. And so, so he's telling them, or he's communicating as he's praying to the Father, they are listening to this. They are reminded, he's been saying this over and over on this night, that he is leaving them, but they will not be left alone. So the fact that he is going away doesn't mean that they're going to be abandoned here with no one to care for them, and they are going to be all alone. It is to their advantage, he speaks of this in John chapter 16. It is to their advantage. Jesus has already told them that he goes away. That if he doesn't go away, then the Holy Spirit doesn't come. And so here, again, he is saying, he's saying, I am no longer in the world. They're going to remain here. They're going to stay. And so, Father, as I am coming to you, here's what I am requesting. That you would keep them as I go in your name, because you have given them to me, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. So I want to talk about the implications of this gift, another implication of this gift that the Father has given us to the Son. One implication is this is that Jesus here in this prayer gives what he has been given, which is us in the 11. As he leaves, he says to the Father, I'm asking you that you would keep them in your name, as I am leaving and as I am going. So Jesus speaks to the Father here in such a way that He knew what was absolutely true, that when He went away, that the Father would indeed keep them. He is affirming here that the Father is holy in every kind of way. So He says to Him, Holy Father, I'm asking that You will keep them. So here Christ is is affirming to you and I this reality that as he went away in regard to the 11 that the Father would keep him. He wouldn't be present. In verse 12, we're going to see in a moment that while he was among them, he kept them in the Father's name. But since he's going to go away, he makes this great request of the Father. Father, I have been keeping them in your name and now that I'm going away, Father, keep them in your name. So let's talk about this just for a moment. So he's saying, I'm no longer going to be with them. I'm no longer going to be in the world. They have to remain here in the world. So when we talk about the world here, we're not talking about geography. We're not talking about nations. We're not talking about people groups. We're talking about the system of the world. That's what this Greek word means. So the world system that is anti-God, that is against God, hates God, has this perspective. They are going to have to remain here. And to remain here, we need help, don't we? We need help living here. We need help having perspective in the midst of the things that we see around us and the things that are happening. And so this is the prayer of Christ. Father, I am leaving and I'm coming to you. And I've been keeping them in your name. And so as I go away, this is my request that you would continue to keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. And as you keep them in your name they will come to know the security that belongs to them even though i have left them and i have gone away so part of that aspect is the coming of the holy spirit who would indwell them and so so notice what jesus is saying here he's leaving they're staying in a world that hates them hates god hates the scripture hates absolute truth They're going to remain in that world. And what do those who remain in a world like this need? A sinful world, full of hatred, full of violence, full of lies. We need a holy Father who is pure, who is righteous, who is altogether good in every kind of way. And so again, look at 11. Notice the flow. I am no longer in the world, again indicating he's leaving. They're remaining. They are in the world. They're going to remain living in the system. They're not of it, but they're in the world, but not of it. I'm coming to you. So his prayer is, so Holy Father, keep them in your name, those which you have given me. So the Father keeps us. So note, note the language all through this prayer. The Father gives to the Son. Again, we're going to see in verse 12, Jesus says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name. Now He's leaving, and so He's saying, Father, continue to keep them in your name. This is great affirmation to us in regard to our position in Christ in regard to our salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote this over and over in the letters that he wrote. If you've ever read Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, he speaks of this. We are in Christ. And he speaks of it over and over. We are in him. We are in him. We are in Christ. So we are in God. This reality comes to those who have salvation. We are in God. We are in the Father. We are in the Son. We are in the Spirit. They are in us. It is affirmed over and over again in the epistles and in Jesus' prayer here and throughout um, the Gospel of John. We are in Him. So we are therefore safe and secure because of that great reality. So not only are we in Him and we are secure and the Father keeps us, then He says this, the second implication, that the Father gives us to the Son is that we would have a unity with them and with one another, even as Jesus says here, as the Father and the Son are one. Look at the end of verse 11. He says that they may be one even as we are one. Now, I want to talk about what this means here. Now, believers are to aim to get along together we are to aim to live in unity but that is not the implication of this teaching here jesus's emphasis through through the upper room and through john chapter 17 is emphasizing the unity that the father and son have with one another so listen to this these things are really important because they are building upon one another as we walk through this So note how significant this is. While Jesus was with the 11, again, we'll see in just a moment in verse 12, he kept the 11 in the name of the Father. Now here he says, because I'm going to be with you, Father, continue to keep them in your name, even though I'm not going to be present. And keep them in your name in such a way that it is just as unique and powerful as you and I, Father, are one, that you would keep them in us also as one. This is, this is a picture, again, not of us aiming to try to get along with one another. That's not the implications here. The implication here is that we, you and I, would come to know this, and the 11 would come to know this, that we are in God, we are in the Father, we are in the Son, even as the Father and the Son are one together. Again, the implication is, we have great security in regard to our salvation that has come to us. The Father gives believers to Jesus. Jesus keeps us, He doesn't cast us out. As John 6 speaks about, that those whom the Father draws, they come to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, He doesn't cast them away, but He keeps them. So the gift is the Father gives to the Son followers. And here's what the Son does. The Son keeps them in the Father. When He leaves, the Father keeps the followers in His name. And that the followers become one even as the Father and Son are one. So Jesus praying here is that though they were remaining in the midst of a world that would have no desire to follow God and would eventually deeply persecute Christians, that even in the midst of a world like that, there is a security in the name of God that's not based on physical safety but it is based and grounded in spiritual security he's already told them in chapter 16 verse 2 that the world was going to rejoice when they were kicked out of synagogues and even when they were killed so again he's not talking about here physical safety he is talking about the incredible reality of the security of our salvation So the father gave the 11 to Jesus. The implication of that reality is that the father would keep them in his name and that the fathers will have a unity even as the father and the son have unity. Let's look at the second gift. Look at verse 12 now. So while I was with them, I kept them in your name. Here's the same phrase. He says it again right here. Which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I want you to note, this is the second time in this prayer that Jesus has re-emphasized something. First emphasis, that we are kept in the Father's name. So in, in verse 11, he says this, Fathers, I'm leaving, keep them in your name. Here he says, while I have been with them, I kept them in the Father's name. And here's the second thing which he says again, which you have given me. There's that emphasis that the Father gave to the Son, the 11, the Father gives to the Son followers, those who will come to faith. So now Jesus begins to pray for their protection. Again, not physically physically, though there are implications with that as well. But he's really aiming about the security in regard to their salvation spiritually. So he begins to pray for their protection. So living in a world as ours, living in a world in which the 11 lived in, the depth of depravity, the hatred that, would, that they would face in the world. You and I live in a spiritual war zone everywhere, regardless of culture, we live in a war zone. And it takes on different aspects of things and so what we need in the midst of that is to know that we are secure that there's a confidence that we can have so as we have said last week and this week there is there is a reality that jesus affirms seven times in in john chapter 17 that we are a gift from the father to the son and so now jesus says as the Father keeps you, I keep you, and I'm giving you to the Father, and eventually he will do that. He will give the church back to the Father as this great love gift. And so let's talk about the outcome of what he says here again, that the Father gives the 11 to Jesus. And again, the implication is that as well, is that the Father gives you and I who have salvation to the Son. So what is the outcome? So he says there, while I was with them, So Jesus' presence, when he was with them, kept them in the Father's name. I need you to hear this. We don't keep ourselves in the kingdom. God keeps us in the kingdom. So I want to repeat it again. Jesus' presence, while he was with them, kept them in the Father's name. When he left, the Father kept them in the Father's name. We don't do that. The church doesn't have that power. God keeps His people in His name. So as He was with them, notice the implication of this reality. He kept them in a very special place. He didn't put them in a Tupperware box. He didn't put them in the trunk. They didn't have cars back then. They didn't put them in the trunk of a car. Didn't put them in a bag. Didn't put them in a wineskin. He put them in the Father's name. And the implications of that are astounding this morning. But though we are in this room this morning at 6374 County Road 161, that's where we physically are. Spiritually, we are in God Himself, God is in us. We are in Christ. Where's Christ? Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So spiritually, we are secure. Why? Because we are in God. We have been given by the Father to the Son, kept in the very name of Jesus. were We're not in a box. We're not in a stable. We're not in a bank. He put us, He put believers in the safest place that Jesus could put believers in the glorious name of the Father. And in his infinite wisdom, he put believers in the name of the Father. Now I want you to go back to John chapter 10 for a moment. And I want to remind us, this is not a new teaching from Jesus. This is an affirmation of what Jesus has already been teaching that the 11 have heard. So in John chapter 10, Verse 28 and 29. John 10, 28 and 29. Notice the language in the similarity to John 17. I give them eternal life. Who gives eternal life according to Jesus? He does. I give eternal life. And they will never perish. So when, watch, what does that mean? That I give, etern- I, will give, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. That when Jesus gives eternal life, then those who have been granted eternal life and been given eternal life, they do not perish. They're not cast out. They don't lose their salvation. 28, so I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Now note the implication further layer and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 29, my father, here's the language. It's very similar to John 17. Who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Here's the language at the end of of Verse John 17, 11. The end of John 17, 11 is exactly here in John 10, 30. I and the Father are what? One. Unity. So I want to stress this recurring theme of Christ in John chapter 17 in regard to the security of our salvation. Listen to what is said in John chapter 10 and what is said in John chapter 17. The exact same theme is said here. Jesus gives eternal life. So we will never perish, and no one can snatch us from his hand. Here's a second implication. The Father gave believers to Jesus, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand or Jesus' hand. Jesus then, when given the 11, listen to what he says here, back to 17. Jesus, when given the 11, when given believers after the 11 who would come to faith, where did Jesus, where are believers kept? They are kept in the Father's name. Tremendous, tremendous implications that we, we need to get. It needs to settle deep inside of our bones. Now, let me pose a question to us this morning. Can you imagine the difficult task that you and I would have if our eternal security would be turned over to us from God. Hopeless. I couldn't keep it today. I might not be able to keep it even as I preach the word of God. Why? God has raised me to life, but I'm a sinner. I can have prideful thoughts even as I preach. We are tainted with brokenness even though we have been redeemed, gloriously redeemed by the Lord. So, if God's not going to turn, if God's not going to, by His great power, raise us to life, He does the work, and then now He's going to say, but the rest of it, it's all up to you to keep it. I'll begin it, but you have to keep it. If that was the case, we are in deep trouble And also, why did he say all of these other things? That he is the one who is doing the keeping. That's the emphasis there. He is doing the keeping, not us. Now, we are to work out our salvation. That's really important. And when we come to know Christ, we should live, aim to live holy lives, God-honoring lives. We should never want to live in such a way that would dishonor him. We should live in, in, in light of this incredible reality that He's rescued us and that He is keeping us. So if the responsibility rests with us as to whether we're in the kingdom, in the family, in His hand, not in His hand, in or out, how would we ever truly know based on us? We wouldn't be able to know. So therefore, we need someone stronger, someone mightier, someone who made salvation happen through His work on the cross, and that's Jesus. So here, here's the gift. The Father gives followers to the Son, and when He does that, the Father keeps the followers in His name. Second, second implication, result, or outcome of this gift is that we are guarded by Jesus, and Jesus says that. He guards us. He says that in verse 12. So while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, the ones you have given me. And then he says this, and I have guarded them. Now, I played soccer in fifth grade. My team won the Waco City Championship. We went the whole year and nobody scored a goal on us and we scored goals on everybody. That's a pretty good goalie our team had. But eventually, you know, people do score on you and all that. I want you to hear this. And again, we, we, we need to grasp this. Who is guarding us according to Jesus here? He is. Do you think he's a pretty good guard? Yeah. So note this. Not only are we kept in the Father's name, we are guarded by Jesus himself. Any amens? He guards us. If that's not enough, turn to your right, and I want you to go to the book of 1 Peter Peter is after James, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. If you go to Revelation, go left. You'll find the John epistles. And I want to show you something in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. So that you see that this is not just John emphasizing this, but Peter is saying the exact same thing. 1 Peter... Chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Note who does the work. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. You see the same implication, 1 Peter 1, 3 as John 10. Jesus causes us i give eternal life so here's peter saying he god has caused us to be born again look what look what it says there to a living hope not a hope that dies how does he how does he give us how does he cause us to be born again to a living hope it's done through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead that christ is alive now look at verse 4 What is the implication of that we have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus? Verse 4, we get an inheritance that is connected to our salvation. Peter describes it in three ways. It is imperishable, it is undefiled, and unfading. Notice this language, this keeping language. Kept in heaven for you. Look at 5 now. Wow, look at the first part of 5. So this inheritance that is imperishable, it is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, is also by God's power being what? Guarded. It is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So look up here. here. What is Peter saying? God causes us to be born again. Jesus said that in John 10, I give eternal life. What kind of life is this? It is a life that's born into a living hope, not a dead hope. And it's such a living kind of hope because it's grounded in the resurrection of the Lord himself. That he has conquered death, he has conquered the grave. So it's living. And it is to an inheritance that has three aspects to it. It is imperishable. Watch. What does the word imperishable mean? We We have forks and knives and vases and pictures and carpets. They fade, do they not? Just let them have some sun for a while. Let it be exposed to certain things. We have a salvation that Peter says that is imperishable. It lasts. Secondly, it is undefiled, this salvation. It is not touched by sin. It's not tainted by sin. And then Peter says, it is unfading. It never loses its power or its effectiveness. And listen again. Jesus says here, through the Spirit, through Peter, writing, in line with what Jesus says here, kept in heaven for you. Now let me back up and remind us of what's been said here. So Jesus says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, Father. Now I'm going away, and so Father, keep them in your name. And now look what Peter says. Where is our salvation today, right now? Where is it being kept? In heaven. It's being kept in heaven. Jesus says that he guarded, the, he guarded them. He says that in, in John seventeen twelve. Now Peter is saying that our salvation is being guarded by who? Same one. By Christ himself. How amazing is that this morning? And I, I hope that just settles in us. That God is guarding our salvation. He didn't save us and say, okay, good luck with this. Try and keep it. Try and keep it safe. Try and keep it from unfading. Try and keep it undefiled. That one's clearly an indication that we cannot keep it. We would defile it. You see that? We would defile it. Maybe the others we could keep hidden away and it wouldn't fade. But we would defile our salvation. And so that's why it's not dependent upon us. It is grounded and dependent upon God keeping us. But what about Judas? Got to deal with Judas. He's mentioned here. So we got to deal with him. Again, when we talked about Judas early on in John chapter 13, and I don't think Judas ever was a believer. And I think the scripture here indicates that he never believed. If you read the four gospels, he has never indicated that he is a follower. There's no indication. He's not spoken of as a follower. He's spoken of someone who was around. He did things, but we've all known that. Are there people in and around the church that aren't in the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when, when the scripture says here that I have guarded them and notice what Jesus says here and not one of them has been lost. None of them, I kept all that you gave me, but there's one who was lost. This word lost here in son of perdition. Son of perdition means destruction and literally in the Greek this means this. The perishing one perished. The one who was going to perish. The one who, who didn't believe, he, he perished. That's what the meaning of this is. Judas didn't believe. He never believed. And he died in his sin, separated from Christ. So when Jesus says, not one of them you gave me has been lost, he kept and guarded everyone that the Father gave to him. But there was one who was already lost and he remained lost lost listen to what the scripture says about him to give affirmation of what i've been saying here in john chapter 6 if you remember jesus gives the message you must drink of my blood eat of my flesh a bunch of people had been following they walked away he turned to the 12 and said do y'all want to leave as well and peter says lord where would we go you're the one who has the words of eternal life and we believe that you are the holy one of god and then you get to Chapter 6, verse 70 and 71 in Jesus already in John chapter 6, right there, he calls, he doesn't call him out by name, but he says, one of you is a devil. If Judas was a believer, would Jesus have called him a devil? No. So he wasn't believing then. He was not in, even in John chapter 6. In John 13, 11, Jesus says, you are clean, but not all of you. One of them was not clean. We knew who that was. John 13, 18 through 19 is the one who that Jesus dipped the morsel. If you remember, he dipped the bread in the morsel and gave it to him. That was a fulfillment of Psalm 41. Judas is the fulfillment of Psalm 41.9, that he's the one who would betray. In John 13, 27, this is a key one to indicate that Judas was not a follower, but Satan entered his body. He entered his body. And so if Judas ever was in the hand of Christ and he was in the hand of the Father and he was kept in the Father's name, then how did he get out if Jesus says no one can snatch? And I think it's really clear that he was never in. He never believed. He could speak the language, but he never believed. He has never called a child of God in any of the Gospels He's just not seen that way. And so to all whom the Father gives to the Son, the Son keeps and the Father keeps. So if no one means no one, including us, is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand or Jesus' hand, and if Jesus as well was at some point in time kept in the Father's name, then how in the world did he get out? And I think the indication there is that he was never in. He didn't believe. So we are kept in the Father's name. Our salvation is kept in heaven, guarded by Christ. Christ guarded them. Christ guards us. There is a security that is there. Jesus does not ever fail in keeping us in the Father's name, and guarding us. And the implications that if He cannot keep us in the Father's name and guard the ones the Father gave Him, the implication from that, then there is absolutely nothing secure in the world. Nothing. Nothing can be secure if He cannot keep us. And I have good news this morning. He can. He can keep us. Let's look at the third gift. This is a big one. The gift of Christ leaving and the Spirit's coming and the outcome of this. Look at verse 13. He's saying again, but now I am coming to you. He's already said that in verse 11. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Go back just for a second in 1627 of John. I want you to see it with your own eyes. John 1627. Or 167, sorry, 167. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage That I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So here's the gift. It was hard for the 11 to wrap their mind around it. He's leaving them and they're going to have to stay. But here Jesus says, Listen, men, this is good for you. This is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Spirit won't come and indwell you. And the Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He's the seal um, completing and and keeping us as well, the Spirit's work in this. And so, so the gift is Christ leaving meant the Spirit would come. And when the Spirit came, and because Christ left, Jesus says here that there's a treasure that you and I have that belongs to Him that can become ours. Now I want you to notice what it is. So again, look at 13. This is a repeat of verse 11, but now I'm coming to you, indicating his exaltation as he ascends. Now notice the next phrase, really important. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So I want you to hear what Jesus is praying here. He uses that phrase world again. Again, not talking about geography, but talking about the world system that is anti-God. If you miss this, you've missed the heart of every sermon that I've ever preached that you've heard. And so I'm going to say it again this morning. Listen to what Jesus says here. In the midst of the world that is anti the words of God, anti the people of God, anti God. Again, going back to John chapter 15, Jesus says, listen, servants not greater than master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Look what he says here. I have given you words. I've spoken words in the midst of a world That hates me and hates my words. And if you will stand in my words, this is what will happen. You will have my joy. And these things I speak in the world, in this system that does not acknowledge me, will not acknowledge me, that will be anti me and will be anti you in every way. These things I speak in the world that they, that they, that they, the followers of Jesus who stand on the promises and the words of God, listen to the implication. What do we get? We get Jesus's joy. Could the reason be, and I'll just use me as an example, why I am not as joyful as this implies that I should be, is because I don't stand on the promises of the word of God. Because either, again, this is true or it's not true. Is it true? Yes. So these things I have spoken in the world, in the midst of the system that doesn't like these words, I have spoken them so that God's people in the midst of the world that is not for God, here's what they find in a world that's against them and against God. They find Christ's joy where? Where does it say it is? Fulfilled where? In themselves. And I think joy doesn't mean that we're running around shouting and whatever the case may be can mean that. I think joy just is one of those things that rests in something that Paul learned, contentedness. We love to quote Philippians 4.13. We love to put it on coffee mugs. We like to put it on the back of a car. We fail Philippians 4.13 to not include Philippians 4.10-12 through 12 with it. So let me remind us what that says. Paul's in a prison cell writing these words. Philippians 4.11 Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance... Listen to what Paul says. I have learned the secret. You want to learn the secret? Listen to what Paul says. I have learned the secret of when I have plenty or when I'm really, really hungry. When I have abundance and when I have a need, here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ, Christ who strengthens me. Not I strengthen me, but I can I can handle when things are falling apart because there's a contentedness that's there. To know this that the world offers me nothing. And Christ offers me everything. So if you and I want real joy, real joy, Christ's joy, these things I have spoken in the world, so that my so that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Real joy people, real people who have no joy. They are the ones who come to embrace the words of God, stand on the promises of God that Jesus spoke while he was here and that have come to us in the scripture. And when we stand there, our joy, Jesus is saying, is, let me just back up. It's really hard here at times, isn't it, living here? Is it not hard? Sickness, heartache, loss of job. Feel sorry for all you who have a diesel car, truck now. You're well up over five dollars a gallon to fill up. So there's pain at the pump, and there's pain. I mean, deep pain. It's devastating pain, and I want you to know what Jesus, Notice what Jesus is saying here. He is saying that our joy is not going to be connected to all that is going on around us. That there is a way to have a joy that is grounded in His Word. Look with me just a second. You're right there in 17. Go to the end of chapter 16. One of the greatest things ever said, John 16, 33. Same phrase: I have said these things to you, that in me you have peace. Let me tell you what you're going to have in the world. Here's over here. In the world you will have tribulation. We talked this about several weeks ago. This word tribulation means ever-increasing pressure. That's what it means. Just continued pressure upon God's people. In the world, this is what you're going to have. In the world system, as a Christ follower, you're going to have increasing tribulation. But you take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. So the gift of Christ leaving was that he spoke in the world to the followers of Jesus. They have now come to us. And if we will stand on those promises, the world can crumble. I've seen it online. You may have as well that in Ukraine right now, there are Christians who have lost everything, and they are worshiping Jesus today. Why? Because they don't look around and think, this is it for me. This is it for me. They have an eternal security that goes so far beyond this life here. And it is fulfilled inside of us. So let's close with this one. Let's read 14 through 16 again, and just make a couple of comments here. Look at 14. Here's the same phrase, given, given. It's just given It given. It's just there all through this prayer. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So look what he prays in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That verse 16 is an indication of salvation. They're like Christ. Christ was not of the world. Believers, followers of Jesus are not of the world because of our connection to him. So here's the gift. And then we'll talk about the implication. The gift is the Word of God that He's given us His Word. Again, it goes back to the previous verse in verse 13. I've spoken these things to them in the world so that they would have joy, my joy, fulfilled in themselves. So the great gift is God's Word. I want you to notice it's word, not words. The implication here from Christ is He's given them a teaching, a set of teaching and the Spirit would bring this about. It's come to us, Old Testament, New Testament. The Word. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds or comes from the mouth of God. There was never a time where Jesus stopped endorsing the sacred scriptures as the most key thing for us to know and to know who God is. Jesus himself never spoke outside of his father's words. He always spoke fully in line with scripture. And he never encourages us to look anywhere else but in the scripture. So they were a gift to Jesus from the father. In Jesus' gift to the eleven, as he gave them the words of the father, he grants us the words of God. They have come to us. And so therefore, the importance of God's word is absolutely important. And so I don't know what these churches are doing. I don't know what ministries are doing. I don't know what some teachers within the evangelical world are doing who don't emphasize that the absolute highest thing that we do is to teach the truth. For that gives us and grants unto us a knowledge of God and a security of God uh, um, in our relationship with God. And so Jesus says, I have given them your word and because I have done that, the world hates them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And no, I want you to notice there, he says that twice. They are not of the world as I am not of the world and then in 16, he says it in 14 and he says it in 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I, I have confidence today not because of anything in me I have confidence today because Jesus stated that. I'm not of the world. Why? Because he's done something. He's done something. So in verse 13, the words give us joy in the world. Verse 14, the words of Jesus separate us from the world. They become an identifying mark of us in the world. will hate us because we're not of it. And then in verse 15, the word aids us by keeping us from the evil one. So the outcome and the result of this gift of the word is that we come to know that we're not of this world system. We've been bought out of this world system, and our identity now is God. We are in him as the Father and Son are one. Now we are in them one as well, uniquely connected. And I just want to say this as well that it's really important to see this. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Christians, we need to always be cautious as to what's going on around us. But we are called to go to the world. We just, as we go, we must always remember that we are not of the world. We're different. Why? because we have been given the promises of God. And so we live differently. So we don't always withdraw from everything. We're not to go live up on a mountain somewhere. We are to engage the world. Did not Jesus do that? Pharisees couldn't believe that he had a tax collector in, in his little group. One day he Was in a house of a Pharisee and a prostitute came in and brought perfume and anointed him, and they couldn't fathom that he was allowing her to touch him. Isn't that amazing about Jesus? That he let somebody like that get close and touch him. How amazing is he. So we are told to go to the nations, not withdraw from them. But we always exercise caution we are not of we are in the world but not of the world and we've got to have a good balance in that so i'm going to close with this so can he keep us can he keep us good i guess one person knows it can he keep us yeah So I want to, this is going to scare you. Don't let it. I'm going to give you nine things that he said just from John 13 to 17 as to how he can keep us. The Father gives us to Jesus. That's said seven times in John 17. So if the Father gives us to Jesus, I think Jesus can keep us. Secondly, the Father keeps us in his name, 1711. Jesus keeps us in the Father's name, 1712. Jesus guards us, 1712. Here's number five. Followers of Jesus are one with God as the Trinity is one. 1711, 1722, and 1723. Jesus is in us John 14:20 John 17:26 The Holy Spirit is in us John 14:17 Number 8 The Father and Son wow make their home inside of us John 14:23 And because Jesus lives we will live John 14:19 so in light of those nine things that he spoke just on that night, I asked the question, can't he keep us? Yeah. And if that's not enough, let me just read this. A couple decades after Jesus spoke this, there were some Christians in Rome that were wondering this. They were under deep persecution. They're like, in this world, tribulation, ever-increasing. So is there a way for us to be separated from God? So Paul wrote to them and he said this to them. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation? What about distress? What about persecution? What if famine comes What if nakedness? What about danger? What if the sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Take comfort, church. Listen to these words. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, not because of us. Now listen to what Paul says. For I am confident, I am certain of this thing, that neither death nor even life, not even angels, not even rulers, not even Putin, not even China's dictator, not anybody, not rulers, nor things today present, nor things that are even going to come in the future that haven't even been invented yet, nor powers, There's not a height. There's not a depth. There's not anything else in all of creation. There's not something in some far distant galaxy that we don't even know about. There is nothing or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In, listen, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I'm going to ask it one last time. So can he keep us? Absolutely. See, this should free us to not have to try to measure, am I doing enough? It should free us to say this, no, I'm free to live for his name. Not burdened, but free. The goodness of God is astounding. This is his prayer. For the 11 initially, The implications also are for us. What a God and what goodness that's been granted to us. Let's pray.